Well, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to continue on in beginning in verse 17. I'll read through 23. We're really going to focus really this morning through verse 21. We'll come back to this text again next week. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you've learned Christ, assuming that you've heard about Him and were taught in Him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, Father, I pray that you would give us true understanding of, the, of these verses, that your word would cut us to the heart. Father, that you would help us abhor the way we were in our old nature, and, and, and Father, the ways that sometimes we begin to live as though we were still alive in that nature. Father, I pray that uh, you would sanctify us, that you would use this to, to bring about greater holiness in our lives, and that we would Strive for that in the grace of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last night as I was just working through the last parts of this message, one of my daughters came running down. By the way, I always ask for permission when I do this, so don't, don't feel bad for them. I've, I've talked to them. One of my daughters came down and to our bedroom and asked a really good question. The question was this, Daddy, how do I stop sinning? And then she said, I know you're busy and you can tell me tomorrow. I said, no, it's too good a question. <laughs> Let's talk about it now. And we went to Romans 12. The Bible actually tells us. Verse 2. After Paul had described the mercy of God in Jesus, everything God did on his part. In Romans chapter 12, now Paul says, here's what you must do. And in verse 2 he says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
And I said, right there, do you see that? Being transformed is stopping something and starting to do something else. How do I stop sinning? Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. All of our actions are connected to our thinking. And last week, we talked about how we're all born in sin. We're all spiritually dead. We all are in rebellion to God. You don't have to teach a two-year-old how to be selfish. It's a part of their nature. They're born that way. And we looked at how Jesus told Nicodemus, you need a new birth. You need a new heart. The Spirit of God does this. You can't do it, Nicodemus. God needs to do it. God needs to give you a new heart, a new mind, new affections. And in this text, Paul is saying, live like who you are. Because you're going to be tempted, even though you are alive, you do have new taste buds of your heart. Your flesh is going to tempt you to be selfish and to indulge the flesh. And you need to not do that. That would be like our text says, wearing old, dirty, nasty clothing, even though we're made a new man. Paul's saying, no, live like who you are. How do I stop sinning? This is a homeschool daughter asking her dad. And we live in a world that is broken. I mean, God instituted three things in this world for our blessing. Family, government, and the church. Look at what's happening to every one of those institutions God has put in place. What kind of world are we living in? The family, we're created in the image of God, male and female, and the culture is attacking the image of God in man full on. You see it, don't you? You can see it. We're a culture of death. We celebrate killing our children. We celebrate things like assisted suicide. People that when they die, go off into an eternal existence, either in heaven or hell, and we play God. As though we are just animals. We don't have value. We don't have dignity. Masculinity is detested. Femininity is belittled and redefined. Transgenderism and homosexuality is glorified. And the gift of sexual intimacy, which means remember the covenant, is used where there is no covenant everywhere. 
marriage is redefined, the culture is anti-family in just about every other way. Even to the point where parents are demonized for thinking that they would be the authority over their children and set rules and discipline. You look at the government, an institution that God gave us for our good. Our leaders have made a mockery of it. We call evil good and good evil. And the citizens of this country, so many, at least the leading cultural elites, celebrate rebellion to the government. And then we get to the third institution, the church. The so-called church seems to be influenced more by culture than by Christ. So my daughter says, Daddy, how do I stop sinning? And I know the world she lives in. Five hundred years before Paul penned this, a Greek philosopher, Heraclitus, himself a pagan, not a, not a follower of God, referred to Ephesus. Paul is writing this letter to the Ephesians. He referred to Ephesus as the darkest or the darkness of vileness. The morals, he says, were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. 500 years before Paul's day in Ephesus, the pagan philosopher said, that place is evil. That place is the vileness of darkness. And it wasn't much different in Paul's day. The temple to Artemis was the main draw in Ephesus. Remember that? A Greek goddess who people came far and wide to see her temple and worship her there. How did they worship her? She was a sex goddess. There was over a thousand temple prostitutes. You worshiped her by participating in orgies. Criminals found asylum within a half mile of the temple. So in the middle of Ephesus, all the criminals that would be charged if they were outside more than a half mile, it was a refuge for the most vile of the vile on earth. And Paul is concerned that the new believers, those who are born again, those who are living in their new nature, are going to be tempted to begin to think like they used to think. For they're surrounded by a culture that is in rebellion to God. And so, 
we see that Paul needs to encourage the Christians to think in line with who they really are, to remember what is true, because Christians can struggle to think the way they used to think. They can. 1 Corinthians 3.1 says this, but I, brothers, could not address you. I, brothers, he's addressing them as Christians, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, infants in Christ. He said, I fed you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh behaving only in a human way? Are, are you behaving in line with the supernatural miracle of the new birth, your new heart you've been given? Aren't you merely acting like you used to act? And so that's what we have in front of us. Now, it might seem a little depressing as we go through this because we're going to take our time to remember what the Gentile mind is like, what, the, what it was like before a person's a believer. In a room this big, this is some of you right now. And for those of you who are born again, those of you who the taste buds of your heart has been changed by God, this ought to act as a reminder. God wants to show the clear distinction. Whatever part of your life that is being lived like the old man, you need to hate it and get rid of it. That's the goal of this sermon. We're to look at it and go, ugh, why would I want to put on those clothes in light of what God has done? So look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord. This isn't just Paul, the apostle. This is Christ speaking. That you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. So the Lord testifies this. The Lord's will, Christian, is that you no longer walk like the Gentiles. We already know this from the book of Ephesians, don't we? Remember Ephesians 2.10? After we were dead and we were brought to life by pure grace. Remember verse 10? For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Have you ever wondered this? God not only chose his people before the foundation of the world, but he predestined the good works that you would walk in. He prepared them beforehand. God's will for your life wasn't just to bring you to new life, but that you would walk in that new life. And he's resuming his thought back in verse, verses 1 through 3 of Ephesians 4. There's this long parenthetical conversation about how the church is to be unified. 
with one another and the attitude we ought to have. But back in verse 1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. See, he's picking up that idea here. He's getting back to the walk. I testify and say in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The word walk means live, peripateo. It's, it's your normal living out of life. No longer walk like the Gentiles do. Who are the Gentiles? Kids, if you're keeping the back of your bulletin, the kids' questions, here's an answer. The Gentiles are the unbelievers. It's those who don't know God. No longer walk as those who don't know God. They're the pagans. The word is esne. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, it's, you know, Paul says not to live in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Don't live like those who don't know God. Now, if you're looking at your Bible, this is all about thinking, which makes sense, right? How do I, how do I walk? How do I, how do I stop sinning? How, how can I be transformed? It's all about the mind. The Gentiles' problem was all about their thinking, and the solution for the Christian is all about their knowledge of God. Just, just, just look at the text with me. No longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding. Well, that's talking about the mind as well. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Well, that's talking about the mind as well. Due to their hardness of heart. What is the heart? It's the soul of a person where you think and where your affections are, where the will is. They become callous, giving themselves up to all these practices. Because they were thinking wrongly, they didn't know God, they were ignorant of God, therefore they walked the way they walked. And then the, the end of this text, which we're going to look at next week, in much more detail, he said, in verse 20, he says, but that's not the way you've learned Christ. Christians, you know something. You learned something. It's past tense. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught in him. As the truth is in Jesus. So as we go through this text, you, you just need to know that all your actions are connected to your thoughts. How you think will determine what you love, and what you love will determine what you do. That'll be your will. That's how the human heart functions. That's what the Scripture reveals to us about the human heart. Remember, Jesus says, from out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Speaking is the action. Our words are connected to our will. Often our words reveal that there's more growth to be done in our hearts. 
Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. This word futility. How do the Gentiles think? (laughs) They have futile minds. The futile mind is that which fails to produce the desired result. The Gentiles are all after something and they won't get it. It's futile. It, It never succeeds. Psalm 94 talks about the human mind apart from God. Psalm 94, 8, understand, O dullest of people, fools, when will you be wise? Verse 11, the Lord knows the thoughts of man. They are but a breath. (laughs) They're futile. It's not going to amount to anything. How about King Solomon? Ecclesiastes 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, the king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities. That's what the word means. It means futility. They have vain minds. Vanity of vanities, the preacher says. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Verse 14 of Ecclesiastes 1. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after the wind. All this effort, all this talk, all this passion amounts to futility. The heroes of this world that are on our TVs that everyone's captivated with, what are they going to be left with? What's it going to amount to? Well, Solomon actually tells us in Ecclesiastes 2.26, he says, to the one who pleases him, being God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. Well, now that's something. But to the sinner, the one who doesn't know God, he has given the business of gathering and collecting, only to give to the one who pleases God. This also is vanity and striving after the wind. You realize, for the unbeliever, for those who remain in rebellion, that everything they have will be taken from them. And it'll be given to those who already have. Isn't that what Jesus taught? Pretty strong argument so far, huh? Your old walk was attached to a type of thinking. Remember, the thinking was futile. It was in vain. Do you really want to put on this old nasty coat that is going nowhere? It's also ignorant. Look at what he says. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding. This is the most devastating part. Alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. The Gentiles are ignorant. And if they're ignorant, they're alienated from the life of God. Do you realize the privilege you have to be connected to the life of God. 
If, if you're not a believer here, and God by his grace has allowed you to still be here, there's opportunity to be connected to the life of God. But the Gentiles, they were alienated from the life of God because they didn't know him. They were ignorant of him. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. They're ignorant of the life of God. John 1.4 says this, In him, speaking of Christ, was life and the life was the light of men. In Christ is life. John 3, 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, that was given as a judgment for their rebellious hearts. Remember the serpents were biting the people of Israel. Many of them were dying. And God had mercy on them. He said, take, make a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole. The curse that's on this people right now is the snake. Lift up the curse on a pole. And if anyone looks at it, they'll be healed. And he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man will be lifted up. On him will be the curse. On him will be our sin that is killing and destroying us and assuring death, eternal death at the end of our lives. But Christ was lifted up on the cross that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And as a kid, I always thought eternal life means I'm going to live forever. Yeah, but those in hell are going to live forever and they don't have eternal life. Eternal life is the life. It's the fullest life. It's life in Christ. It's life that knows God. It's life that's connected to his creator. You really want to put on the old stinky jacket that in your ignorance, you're separated from the life of God. You really want to play the game of, of, well, I think I'm a new creation, but I'm going to live one foot in the world. I'm going to give as much as the world as I can. This is, this is, this is futile. The very thing that brought death into the world, destroyed every relationship, we, we want Christ, we want heaven, but we want to dabble in our life over here. This is insanity. And that's what Paul is sh sharing. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, John 3, 36. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Meaning anyone who knows not Christ has been walking around unknowingly probably with the wrath of God uh, 
above them. And it's the mere mercy of God that it hasn't fallen down on them. See, God's patience and kindness is meant to bring you to repentance. And if you're here, you might have all sorts of regret in your life, but you can repent and turn to eternal life. You can turn to Christ. Scott read Jeremiah 9.23. You know, don't boast in your wisdom or your might or your riches, but him who boasts, boast in what? That he knows the Lord. There's, there's nothing greater. No longer walk around as though you don't know Christ when you've already been taught Christ. You've already learned Christ. God didn't just will Christian that you would be in heaven one day. He actually gave you a new heart that works. You can think out of your new heart and put to death the deeds of the flesh. All right. And why are they ignorant? See, they're not victims due to their hardness of heart. You see that at the end of verse 18? So they're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. This hardness, porosis, is the Greek word. It carries the idea of being rock hard. It was used by physicians to describe the calcification that forms around a broken bone or gets in a joint so that the joint doesn't work anymore. You're ignorant, not because you're a victim, but because your heart is hard. You've hardened your heart. This is a terrifying thing. Continuing in known sin has a petrifying effect. And the heart of the person who continually chooses to sin becomes hardened and paralyzed to spiritual truth. If you can, if there's any softness in your heart to spiritual truth right now, that is by the grace of God. And don't take it for granted. Don't willingly continue in sin in bitterness, in rebellion in your heart. Because we know from the Scripture that those who harden their heart over a period of time, there's a point where what is God's judgment on that? In this life, He gives them over to the hardness of their heart. You harden your heart, and there's a point in time where God says, solidify. Be hard then, if that's what you want. That's the judgment. Remember Romans 1, speaking of this, verse 21, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. There's their thinking. 
and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. It's crazy. The creator of all these things is rejected, and then they grab the things he created, and then they make idols out of them. That's insanity. That's a futile mind that doesn't make sense. But then in verse 28, it says, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God. Here's the judgment. God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. The judgment is do it. You know, everyone in in one sense speaks about the judgment of God that is going to come on the culture that celebrates, you know, Pride Month with, with homosexuality and rebellion to God, they say, look out, now, now the judgment's going to come. A culture that sees it as good has the judgment is the blindness, is the, is the hardness to celebrate it. And so Paul's reminding them Here's how the Gentiles think. They're ignorant. They're ignorant because they're stubborn. They press down the truth of God. They harden their hearts. Which is why maybe the most quoted passage I quote and remind Christians of, Hebrews 3.12. You know, the Hebrews is a sermon. And the sermon is pointing to Christ being so glorious and don't leave Christ for something less. Don't don't turn away from Christ. So that it comes with warnings. And and he says in Hebrews 3.12, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. He's talking to Christians. An evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Leading you. It's a slow fade. You don't know you're doing it. You're slowly having, becoming more doubting and unbelieving. What's the solution? but exhort one another every day. Exhorting, I think of the coach. Come on! Run the race! Remember who you are! We have hope in front of us. We have eternal life in us. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today. Why? Here's what it says, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We can't have confidence in our own mind, isolated from one another, because the attribute given to sin is the fact that it's deceiving. It, it, it deceives us. We really believe this. We really think, no, I know my sin. 
and I know everyone else's sin. We feel like we're experts in it. And yet the Bible would never give us that sort of arrogance to not believe that our sin in our life isn't deceiving us. And so, to be hardened is to have a callous heart. You see that word there? They become callous, which means a callous makes it so you can't feel anymore. A person's heart and conscience can become so seared and so callous that what it used to be appalled by, it isn't anymore. Just used to it. Doesn't feel anymore. Leroy Auden of the University of Chicago was writing about the human conscience and this guilt that's in every person. He says, We hide a restless lion under a cardboard box. For while we may use other terms than guilt to describe this turbulence in our soul, the fact remains that all is not right within us. By one way or another, by psychological game playing, rationalization, self-justification, transferring the blame to someone else, or by denying sin and eliminating morality, men try futilely to get rid of the line of guilt." And he says, but it'll not go away. But I don't think it's quite precise enough. Because can a person sear their conscience? Can a person get tired of the cardboard box? This guilt inside them and build a steel cage to where they just don't worry about it anymore. Conscience no longer functions within them. It's been seared. Paul speaks to Timothy of, of false teachers this way. Through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared with the branding iron. Don't walk like the Gentiles walk. And by the way, if you hear this and you think this is for someone else and not yourself, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This, this is a humbling text. This is a humbling text as we stand in front of it. I want to Skip ahead a little bit to verse 22 in Ephesians 4. Look at what it says. It says, We're to put off our old self, which belongs to our former manner of life, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Let me just ask you a question. Let's say you're starting a business, and you're putting all your life savings into it. If it goes down, you go down. And in order to run this business, you need two key employees. And let's say you're doing your first interview 
and you get really good intel that the person you are interviewing is corrupt to the point where you basically know it's true. Are you going to hire that employee? Well, no one in their right mind would hire someone that they knew was knowingly corrupt. Well, let's say interview number two. You get good intel that this person is deceitful. This is what they do. They deceive. You wouldn't hire that person either. And in verse 22, it says this old manner of life is corrupt through deceitful desires. And we're not talking about a business. We're talking about your soul. We're talking about your life. Are you really going to be comfortable dancing around over here with deceitful and corrupt desires? When you know it's going nowhere, you know that those who think this way are alienated from the life of God. And we could be here for another hour just showing you all the other times Paul describes the lost person. Why does he take so much time to describe what's going on in the lost, per going on in the lost person's heart? Which is they're given up to these desires, these fleshly desires desires, he does it as he's talking to believers so that they can know to take off this coat and go over here, remember who they are, and be renewed in the spirit of their mind. Isn't that what our text goes on to say? Look at this. They become callous, giving themselves up to sensuality, What's sensuality? The senses. They've given themselves up to gluttony. Sexual impurity. Greed. Materialism. They've just given themselves up to themselves. To, they've been given up to sensuality. Greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It's one thing to be greedy for stuff. They're greedy to find every type of evil. How, how can I do it? How can I do evil this way? How can I do evil that way? Maybe there's a new way we can invent evil. This is how the Bible describes our former manner of life. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming you heard about him and were taught in him, as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Look at verse 23. Here's the key. And to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. In the spirit of your minds at a soul level. It's one thing to know stuff. But it's another thing to be renewed in the spirit of our minds and to put on the new self, created. Remember, you're not partially alive and partially dead, Christian. You don't have a new nature and an old nature. You are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. God has taken out the heart of flesh or the heart of stone and put in the heart of flesh. Now that is attached 
to the part of Adam that is cursed, which is hanging on right now, which is crying out to be satisfied. But God has given you, Christian, the spirit. He's given you a new heart. He's given you the church. He's given you his word. You don't have to be enslaved over here anymore. You don't have to wear the coat. Take it off. Many people struggle with addictions. You don't need it. You say, yes, I do. That's your flesh. God has made you new if you're a believer. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. Yeah, but how am I going to do it? You can't do it in isolation. Exhort one another every day. You've got to remember who you are. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who we are. And so we're called to walk in that. 